You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode of the Down the Pub podcast is brought to you in association with Bootbox Vancouver, suppliers of boot socks. No movement in the boot means no blisters on the foot. Head to bootboxvancouver.com to get yours today. Our Wanderers Games reviews are brought to you thanks to the good folks at Humble Pie. Authentic butterflake pastry filled with local cuts, quality cheese and rich gravy to fill you up on the go or in the comfort of your own home. Head to humblepiekitchen.ca to get yours today. Pies and pints, the perfect match. So uh, welcome to this episode of How Does a Lad from Scaries End Up in Chattanooga? Uh, we are joined by uh, uh, Red Wolf striker and Dublin native uh, Steve Beattie. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks very much, lads. Cheers. Um, we are also joined by Carlos and uh, Chris here too. So um, first question I have for you is, uh, what was it about the Red Wolves project that attracted you to it? Uh, the fact that it was brand new, a brand new franchise, um, you know, I got a phone call just after the cup final in 2018 about the interest and you know Colin Falvey was a Cork man gave me a call he was going to be the assistant slash player coach and just ticked a lot of boxes with regards to I was 30 at the time I'd always say when I moved to Cork that I wanted to win the league the cup playing the Champions League playing the Europa League qualifiers so the Champions League was the last box to tick there so it actually came at a great time and um, Instead of trying to, you know, it's sometimes tough from being Irish to try and reach out to American teams. And, you know, it's a bit of a process. So it was kind of on the table. We were able to get a good deal sorted and, the, you know, the two-year guarantee, which helped as well. As you know, once you get to your 30s, the two years are kind of uh, few and far between. So it worked out in the end, you know. As I said, it was just the, the fact that it's a clean slate. I was coming in as they want to put, give me a captaincy early, kind of put my stamp on it with regards to professionalism on and off the pitch and, kind of bring that with me. So, again, it just ticked all the boxes and it was time to, to freshen up for the League of Ireland. It was, a, it was a very successful first year for yourself, personally. I know you guys came fifth and just missed out in the playoffs. Um, just, and you made the, the team of the year, I think. Does that stuff matter to you, the individual stuff? No, no. As you get older now, um, you know, when you're a young lad, it's great. You can post and repost 50 things on Instagram to say <laughs> you made the same team of the week, you know, our team of the year. But that's another we could do a whole other podcast on that. But, uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't and to be honest, I was so pissed off that we didn't make the playoffs that I got named in I think the week after the playoffs and someone texts me, Well done, it says for what? You made team of the year, oh great, yeah, but we came four or fifth or sixth, wherever we came, you know. I think we missed out by three points. So it was after doing me meniscus. So I missed the last three games, waiting to get an operation. So kind of helplessness of not being able to kind of help the lads was, was annoying me. So I did, you grow out of the individual stuff, you know, the only thing I care about was trophies and medals and, you know. So, so, so just for the listeners, like you're 32, you're not 62, right? Like the way you're going on there, like, you know, when you hit your 30s, like I, I'm 42 and I'm almost dead. So fuck you. Well, I feel right? 62. <laughs> the astroturf we play on, you'll see. <laughs> so, so, Speaking of that, was that actually was is that hard to adapt to? Obviously, like back home, you're like I think Dundalk have a, an Astro pitch, don't they? Yeah, like a, yeah the Bouncy Castle. Yeah, Memorial <laughs> yeah. Park. Um, oh, it's a nightmare. You can't get used to it. Like, um, like we were playing in an old high, high school stadium last year. It was, I was a nightmare. Like, I think genuinely, I I got my ACL done 
when I was 21 I'd never had any other serious injuries and then I just feel literally every game and training the wear and tear on your knees the planting and the cutting um, and then the meniscus eventually just gave way I got a scan in May and you want to see the difference of the scans from May and when I'd done it in October like you can just see the cartilage ever just worn down you know um, so, and in hindsight I should have before I made the move I should have definitely looked into the the astro side of it you know because I'm not training every day even now I, it took me a while to get back to the meniscus because I've done the microfracture surgery as well and that's just all down to the down to the pitches like 100% most of the pitches are asteroids now in the States and um, even when we played up in Toronto we played in there the brand new academy facility is unbelievable but again that's turf um, so we actually played on grass in Miami at Beckham Stadium for the first time I can't thank David Beckham enough for that <laughs> if, he, if he listens to the podcast give me a oh, shout Oh yeah, like yeah, all the time. He's yeah, on we're next. Trying, we're trying to get him for like one hundred. He's, he's on next so. week, actually. Oh yeah, oh, he's, he's a tough one to fill after me. <laughs> Steve Beatty and then David Beckham. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> let me give me a tiger. There's a message or something. Um, Steve, um, in 2012, 13, you play in Iceland. How's the culture there? Because you know, did you learn to do the Viking club and everything? And how how was that? How was that experience? You can tell us how that opportunity came up. You know, how, how is the football culture there? How was your adaptation and everything? Yeah, well, I was coming off my ACL injury. Um, I actually signed my contract in Puerto Rico and done my ACL two days later. Hmm. So I went back to college to finish my degree while I was doing my rehab because I, I never know when I would have finished after the draft. And then a phone call came randomly from a, a coach that had seen me play in college and he was coaching over in Iceland. He said, well, do you have any interest? I snapped his hand off and says, where do I sign? I just wanted to get back playing. I didn't want to go back to the League of Ireland straight away. Because I wasn't ready. I wasn't fit for the physicality side of it. Again, I had, I had a great college career, but I'd never played professional. Um, at the end of the day, you're still playing against kids. But Iceland was actually a great fit. Um, as you said, the culture is fantastic. No matter how big or small the towns are, it's mandatory to have a government-funded seven-side AstroTurf field. So the kids wow. play out there nonstop. Like, you know, in the summer, it's 24 hours of sunlight. So you have kids playing till 1 o'clock in the morning just playing football, football. Um, and it was no coincidence then when they did so well in the Euros and they're actually doing decent from a national team perspective because all the money they make from the tournaments for getting to the quarterfinals of the European Championships, that all goes back to the youth infrastructure. Uh, they pay for the coaches to do their licensing. You know, if I'm going back now and to do my B license in Ireland in uh, November, which I am, I think it's costing me two grand or 1,800 euro where they all get it paid for because it's all through the union. So... It's 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 fantastic country, obviously beautiful, scenic. We used to play our games on a Saturday afternoon and straight into the ocean to do the ice baths. Like that was just <laughs> wow. It's it was unbelievable. Like you know, but you got looked after so well. As soon as we landed, they gave us the keys to a car between two of us, houses, and um, food wise, you got a three meals a day in a beautiful restaurant, buffet style. So. I mean, I see some of the young lads here now in the USL, and you know, even when I was in the MLS for a little bit. Like, well, the MLS obviously isn't, but the USL, like, the guys, it's professional, but they're not treated professionally, you know, mm-hmm. as, as you say. And that was the Icelandic First Division, to be treated like that, you know. It was a nice kind of start for me to kind of grind my gears in the uh, in the professional environment. Um, got a move to the Premier, but I wanted to stay where I was financially. It was a decent move for me, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, and then, obviously, Icelandic, Iceland, physically, um, I mean, 
they're Vikings, they're monsters. You know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're, they're a huge group of people. So that actually kind of helped me then for the physicality of the Irish League when I did make the move back. So when you're at Bowes, sorry, Carlos, when you're at Bowes, did you get fed like Leo Bordox three times a day? He's joking me. No, she's the Leo Bordox. No, no. Believe it or not, Pico Lopez, who now plays for uh, Shamrock Rovers, he's a centre half. His father used to come in and, and cook his food on a Thursday before a game on a Friday. So it was a bit of a, a, bit of a welcome to the League of Ireland. <laughs> Would you consider yourself like, you know, after, after uh, football ends, um, a coaching career maybe? Like in Iceland, because there's so many opportunities that you're mentioning. Um, could be maybe a great opportunity for you moving forward if you want to stay in the business of football? Yeah, I definitely want to stay into the coaching side of it. Um, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do. My licensing while I'm still playing, you know, it's fresh. So many lads have talked in the League of Ireland that they let it hang and, you know, they hang up the boots and, shit, I need to get back into the coaching. Where I think it's so easy for me now at Christmas, go home, start to be, do the first block, do the second block in January and you're kind of way ahead of the the group there Scandinavia would definitely be a it would not be the right opportunity definitely would consider it and the way they play the game is right you know from the little academy kids all the way up mm -hmm. for such a small country you, you'd have to see it to believe it you know um, mm -hmm. it really is a good setup but to be perfectly honest I'd rather start out in the States uh, I think the opportunity for coaches here is huge if you get into the right environment you know so if I had to come in here maybe uh with a brand new slate, I kind of put my philosophy on the team, you know. Um, I mean, Colin Falvey, who was the assistant, the corp boy I talked about, he's now the assistant at Sacramento with Mark Briggs. Mm -hmm. You know, that was, that was his first gig was here last year, and Mark took him as an assistant to Sacramento right now MLS in two years. So the avenues, I think, that can open up here are, are much more vast than, than Scandinavia. Definitely Ireland, uh, probably are aware or not aware. It's just a roundabout of coaches in the League of Ireland. You know, one goes mm -hmm. to another team, and it's just a conveyor belt. And then the youth infrastructure, there's no money in coaching over there. So I think the short and looking long-term goal would be to stay here. That's great. That's great. Good for you. Good for you. Go for it, Chris. Oh, geez. I am loud. Hold on. <laughs> Is that You're better? Loud. That's You're way loud better. Anyways, that's, I know, but I, like, I, was, I could Chris, hear you. Chris, you taste the whiskey bottle. <laughs> <laughs> you caught me, uh, did gotcha, you? Uh, <laughs> uh, I tried to, I tried to switch that around the screen. <laughs> <laughs> just sense it that's fantastic <laughs> yeah you honestly can I've, I've learned through anthony I've, I've i'm like at least five percent irish now from just doing this show with anthony and you can just kind of sense when irish is or when, when the whiskey is in the room it's just a it's like a spidey sense <laughs> that's fantastic so kind of on the topic of coaching um you, you were talking earlier about how you came over to america and had a pretty successful college career i guess the first question is how the hell did that happen and secondly, the, the culmination of it, the national championship, it was, I remember seeing you guys on ESPN. It was one of the only division two soccer games I think I've ever seen on television in my entire life. And it was uh, a bit blistery, if you will. So I guess talk about how the move happened and, and how it culminated with your, uh, with your two national plays. Yeah, again, a random one. I was about to sign a contract with Shelburne when I was just finished school, the equivalent of high school. I just turned 18. It was Pat Fenlon was the manager at the time. And it was, I mean, for pennies, like petrol money sort of stuff, you know, you, you nearly paid to play. And I went, just so I was finishing college, I said, you know what, I looked into different things and ideas and Kalash to Ida, it was like, a, it's like an in-between, essentially a little junior college. You go there and they do nothing, but you train every day and they prepare you for SATs. Um, so it's kind of like an extended year of high school. So I signed up for that. I got on the course. We went over to Memphis for a showcase 
and after the first game with 15 scholarship offers. 15? Um, yeah, 15 the first oh day. Oh, yeah. God. That's yeah. incredible. That's incredible. Uh, so I'd done all right, I think, in that game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'd actually committed to the University of Memphis Division One, the Big East. You know, I don't mind telling you, the SATs, my math score, I think I missed it by about 10 points or 20 points or something, whatever it was. So the original plan was to go D2, play for a year and transfer into to Memphis or another Division One college. We had an okay freshman year and the, the college coach sat me down and said, look, here was the, you know, the plan was to, to have one year, I gave a year. And I don't know, something clicked. I was like, I don't know who said it to me. It's like, you're a big fish in a small pond here. Do you want to risk going to a massive pond and just be another fish or a smaller fish, you know? So I was like, you're right. I might give it another year. My sophomore, he named me captain as a sophomore and end up getting national player of the year as a sophomore. And then after that, I was just, look, I was happy with life off off uh, off the pitch, you know. I believe it or not, the college coach is coming to my game on Saturday. That's the relationship I have with him. He's still like a father figure to me. I've talked to him about contracts. I've talked to him about money. I've talked to him about everything. So that was the connection I had with him, um, and end up having yeah, a great senior year to top it off. We won the national championship down in Louisville, so we had pretty much had a home crowd. It was only an hour and twenty minutes down the road. You can remember the weather, jeez, I'll never forget it. Game yeah, was delayed an hour because keep the shovels the sideline and uh, I mean that was fantastic and then I really didn't get invited to the MLS combine and then I got a phone call to say I was and I hadn't been training for two weeks I was thinking oh Jesus so I ended up going down to Fort Lauderdale and that was another great experience you got all the top boys in the Division One skills I was the only Division Two college lad there you know. Um, kind of first day to introduce yourself and it's Irish lad there's only 21 like like from Northern Kentucky University like sort of thing <laughs> they're like Kentucky like uh, Northern Kentucky University you know <laughs> um, but again it, it was great great experience you're playing in front of your Bruce Arenas your Steve Nichols at the time all the, the head coaches the GMs there it's like everything you see on TV my agent would ring me he's like Salt Lake want to meet you in this hotel room at 11 o'clock in the morning so you go and they talk to you and the college coaches ring me saying New Yorker after ringing about you it's just a mad time you're still only 21 you know and I remember LA Robbie Keane and Beckham were there at the time and I was on the front of the LA Galaxy's website as one of the top prospects left in the draft and they were actually going to take me they, i never forget they are going to take me the 17th pick of the first round of supplemental I was absolutely buzzing I said Said to me, Dad, I said, even if I get down there and get released after a day, I can say I trained with Beckham, you know what I mean? Great <laughs> yeah. up. I was Great happy up. with that, you know what I mean? And then Toronto took me randomly, 12th, just totally random. I was watching the, the draft on the laptop and I see my name and it was surreal because you're so excited to be drafted. And, you know, you're like thinking the MLS and Irish lads, very hard to get drafted. And I think, should I four more plays? I would have gone to LA. But then it was it was the disaster from as soon as I got to Toronto. So from the combine, from the draft, to when I got up there, I think it was two weeks, the whole coaching staff had changed, the front office had changed. So I got up there, it was Aaron Winter, who used to play for Ajax, was the coach. He didn't even know my name, what position I played, where I came from. So we had a five-minute meeting. He's like, oh, you're Irish, are you an international spot? I was like, yeah. So straight away, I knew I was t- done there, you know. Straight on to my agent, was like, get me down to LA or somewhere like this. You know, the first team we're going to Turkey, and he's leaving the draft picks behind him, like, sort of thing. Training with the academy, it's like, I'm only after coming out of college. Um, but of course, everyone had their draft picks done, so there was no chance. So that's how to move to Puerto Rico. Then came down, um, Colin Clark, a Northern Irish man at the time, he was the guy for the time, took me down on a, I think they, 
it was originally a 10 day trial. They signed me after three days. So again, I think I did something all right down there. And then obviously the ACL. So it was a qu- the quickest pro career to start ever. I think it was two days. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, you kind of led into my next question actually it was about coaching at the college level. You said in the United States, there's tons of fantastic coaching opportunities. And in the world of football, I feel like American coaches and the American youth structure is underrated. Um, you kind of had your foot in there with the, the NCAA. Um, I guess the question is, is how important was the coaching at that level for you? And the follow-up question is you went to Northern Kentucky, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're a Division One school now, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. So, like, you're kind of a part of a legacy, kind of a part of, like, a foundation. You guys won that national championship, and you obviously had a, a bit of a recruitment foundation built during and after that point. So, I guess, how was the coaching staff at the school and, and moving along? Were you a part of, like, that process to, to get them to Division One or uh, to get players to come back to the school? You're still obviously um, in contact with the, your former coach. Do you still have any contact with the school? Um, yeah, to answer, to start, um, the Division 1 came along about a year or two after I was done. It was always in the pipeline. When I originally went there as a freshman, we played off-campus, little Astro, no fans, and out of a multi-million dollar complex, we got in at my sophomore year and was completed my senior year. So to look back and see the transition from where, where I signed up to, to where it is now, it's frightening. It's, it's a different place. Um, but while I was there at a coaching it was more grown as a man rather than the football side of it, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I'd never been away from home for a longer than a week or two. Didn't have to do me washing, didn't have to cook. I was ringing me mad all hours, like, can I put this color in with this washer? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And, ah, oh, James, it was unbelievable. Um, so I think I grew, if I hadn't made the move to the college over there and went, say, sign for shells, I would still be living at home, my mom and dad, that turns into 18, 19, 20. And I think from where I'm at now, from I haven't lived at home since I was 18. So that shows you how young I was to where I am now. I think that my development like sped up big time. Then that puts me in the category of being captain here and you know the experience that I've had from, like most of you guys are new here. They've never lived away from home. So I'm kind of bringing myself back to the college days, uh, helping them out. And they're asking what I consider it. Not stupid questions, but I asked the exact same stuff when I was that age. Ring me mom about washing, you know? So, uh, but it was, and the coach, I can't speak anymore highly of him. He was a father figure. Like, I was only 18. I'd moved away. I was in Kentucky, you know, like, geez. I arrived at the airport and just hoping somebody was there, you know? It, 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 that was kind of the joke. Like, it's one thing to come to America from Ireland. It's a whole other thing to go to Kentucky of yeah, all places, yeah. right? Well, like the Google, Chattanooga is near worse, but uh, like the Google, like the Google, <laughs> Uh, like literally I googled when I got the 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 offer for the scholarship it was like right northern Kentucky but I realised it was so close to Cincinnati and that was massive for me too because I don't know if you have visited Cincinnati it's a fantastic city and I'm only 10 minutes from there so it was it was unreal and again I think that nurtured me into that kind of fella the man I am today that kind of helped me big time and obviously the coach was decent we won a national championship but what that man taught us like running through walls for your teammates you know are you injured are you really injured or you, like you just saw I mean the fitness stuff we used to do like you wouldn't do it in the army the, the Navy SEALs wouldn't do some of that stuff I mean you're pushing your body to limits where you never even knew it existed so that work work ethic I think stayed with me for life you know even after the ACL 
was like, will I chuck it? Like, will I even bother? And then it's like, nah, look, I've been through shit before. You know, this is only a minor blip on a on a long career, hopefully. So, I mean, it worked out perfect in the end. So you kind of mentioned there, like about how Iceland has their infrastructure. Like, what does Ireland need to do to to, to Because I mean, you just look around, like what we have, and it's nowhere near that. Like, like for for football to get better in Ireland, like where do you, where, what do you think we need to do to to get to that level? You have to start at grassroots. I mean, the kids, the coaching. You know, coaches aren't getting paid, so like, are they? They're volunteers at the end of the day. You know. Uh, how are you supposed to develop kids? If, and it's not knocking the coaches, just don't have the relative experience. You know, you have to pay for every single license. So some coaches are like, like, I'm only doing this voluntarily. Why would I bother paying? I'm not going to get it back off, you know? So it's definitely grassroots. I mean, you know as well as I do, the FAI was stinking to the core for a long time. They're trying to change that now as well. But it's going to be such a long time before you see the effects. Now, obviously, it's a quick fix for the first team, but we're like... Stephen Kenny with the under-21s last year, that's a great side. And he's starting to bleed some of them into the first team. But it gets scary now when you look lower and lower, your 14s, your 15s, your 16s. Because there's no academies as such in Ireland, you know. There's no, like, who would, like Shamrock Rovers, for instance, have the best academy by a mile out in Roadstone now. But no other teams have a proper academy where the kids are in before school, they go to school, they, can, they live, breathe, and eat football. Where in Iceland, they were going to, to train and before school, go to school, train after school. You know, people argue, you know, they're kids, you're burning them out. But if you want to develop kids to get to the next level of national team and, you know, a million-dollar career, I mean, this is what has to happen. So, again, definitely grassroots. I mean, coach education, it can't be a money spinner at the end of the day. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to still be in the Players' Union in Ireland where half it gets paid for, but... You know, if I'm just going to do my B, that's two grand out of the pocket, you know. You know, if, if, if you're only coaching a 17s or 18s team, you're not getting a penny in return. So I think the drive is not there for the coaches. And and again, I'm basing off Iceland because I, I lived it for two years. What they have is just unbelievable. Like every single penny goes back to, the, to developing the kids and that they trickle straight up to the national team. It's no coincidence. So, so as you said there, like I mean, like the the merry-go-round in Ireland, like that's it, probably part of the reason is because you know, as you said, that people just don't have the money or the time to put into, and that's why you end up with the same faces everywhere. What what did you think of the uh, the Italian guy that they uh, got in Dundalk that just randomly seemed to come from New York? Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> well, it, it baffles me. It baffles me. Um, the amount of like that's. Arguably, you can argue on this one, it is the most lucrative job in Ireland at the moment. Um, Shamrock Rovers, yeah, but Bradley won't be leaving there for a while. So Dundalk is, Dundalk is, I mean, I know firsthand how good Dundalk were. Um, I mean, for the four years as we were Cork, it was either us first, them second. We contested four straight cup finals against them. And to see what they are now, I'm still, like, I'm still in WhatsApp groups with lads in Cork and that are playing in different parts, but when I was there, it's nearly, it nearly makes a mockery of the league where these lads have absolutely zero professional experience going into, again, a very well-paying job. They're just finished the Champions League qualifier and they have Europa League qualifier next week. So you're telling me from an academy director, again, no disrespect, but you're going into a full-time environment with full-time players getting paid full-time wages, you know, with families, with mortgages, there's a lot to balance, which you just don't get that experience coaching younger people. Simple as that. So it's just a really, really weird. And my uncle's involved with the dark 19s and 
he's keeping his mouth shut. He's not telling me much. <laughs> um, but again, from the outside looking, you're going from Stephen Kenny, who's now the manager of your national team, Vinnie Perth, who was assistant, who had done fantastic, won the league last year and the cup, done a double with them. They fire him after six months, kicking in two unknowns. There's all kind of don't get me wrong. There's unknowns of you know guys that had experience have coached in you know Serie A, Serie B, in Italy as an assistant or a third assistant, but zero coach. Something doesn't add up. Yeah, because I mean, they had they even had like Alan Reynolds there, right? So they had like uh, somebody who could naturally step in there because obviously he was the manager of Waterford and stuff like that. It just I've never watched a press conference where the manager had to give a CV. It was so funny. It was like just literally spent 20 minutes telling everybody of what he's done in the States and stuff like that. And it turns out he did like an AC Milan kids course or something in the summer. It's like, yeah, as you as you said, it's, it's such a mockery like of the, the league itself and it just makes us look really bad and really amateurish. Um, so in Canada, we've we started our own league in the last like last year was our first year have you heard much about it and would you be interested in doing a coaching job up here or anything like that I've heard bits and pieces alright yeah um, a couple of people reached out to me just asked me contract situation and stuff but to be honest with you I don't know enough about it to tell you that I'd love to go in and do it or but I have a feeling it's going to be like if it gets proper up off the ground it'll be similar to USL League 1 um, you know or some of the championship teams um, I heard they're paying decent which which will help obviously get players in, um, you know that's half the battle. Um, but then again, you have to look at visas. Do they get visas for foreign lads? All that stuff. You know, Nisa started the league down here. I don't know if you're following that with like Detroit City and all them, but none of them could get international visas because the MC didn't consider a professional league. So there's all stuff, there's loopholes and stuff, and these crazy times with COVID and everything else. You don't know what's going to happen with league. So no, I. I as you know from my CV I'd go anywhere <laughs> Canada's not a million miles away so it's up the Toronto, so if it, if it was a right thing it's to a, do it's, it's not as uh, vast as what Eamon's is to be honest with you <laughs> it tells you about history every day <laughs> so so, so speaking of COVID and stuff like that like um, how did you keep yourself focused during the, the time off um, what, what was it like down there yeah it was tough like you know obviously you're going from training environment every day Believe it or not, when we fully got shut down, it was a week before the start of the season, so it couldn't have gone any worse with regards to, like, you're ready to go, you've waited long. Pre- I think preseason was, honestly, it was nearly seven weeks. And then we got the phone call, you're staying at home, Zoom workouts, and I'm doing yoga on my floor here. And, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, not exactly the, I'm the stiffest man on football, I think, so me trying to do yoga on a wooden floor in, a, in an apartment in Chattanooga didn't look great. I mean, Amo, Amo can stand on his head. He was in his room doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, I, I was in screaming and scurrying, but I, I, I tried to improvise, to be fair. Like, I bought on Amazon, I bought hurdles, cones, rim parachute, just to be busy. Like, you know, there's a grass patch out in front of the complex, doing hill runs. I had to be careful on the knees, on the, on the tarmac, so I didn't do much jogging and stuff. It was more all the grass, the little bit I could do. But it's, it's crazy times for everyone, you know. I'm watching the Tottenham documentary at the moment, and when they, like, you're talking Premier League, and they were like, ah, look, it'll be a week or two and it'll pass. And I had the same kind of beliefs that, look, it'll, this, it'll come and go. And then as it got longer and longer, you're thinking, Jay, the season's not even going to go ahead. Then the USL, we're talking about pay cuts and, you know, economic relief, and we're on the phone to unions and stuff. So it got a little bit up in the air at the moment, and, or, sorry, at the time. 
but thankfully like our owner now every USL League One owner like you know there was no economic relief for them they paid their wages which is brilliant wow um, yeah no, every penny and I know for a fact I think vast majority of teams in Ireland apart from Dundalk and Ro- no Rovers took a pay cut too I think Dundalk were the only ones that paid the whole lot so you know for a USL League One team to do that it, it says a lot about the way they look after their players you know yeah, they give, they give like a the 25% pay cut up here, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, when you're not getting paid top dollar is a, is a hell, of, hell of a lot of money, you know? Yeah, and uh, first, we did, they didn't even ask us. It was just talked about once, um, just in a union chat, and that was it. There was no, they didn't come to us. Uh, so credit or credit's you. So um, just, you've obviously had the fans come, but we, we still haven't, uh, aren't allowed to have fans in the stadium here in, in Canada. They have like a, an island <laughs> where they're all kind of camped on. Um, what was it like having the fans back? It's only limited to 700 and spread out. So to be honest with you, <laughs> behind the goal the other night, it didn't look like they were social distancing anyway. But uh, it's weird. It's a weird setup. It's a weird time. I mean, the other team has to arrive already changed. You have to go out in your mask. You have to sit in the bench in a mask. You know, you're not allowed to interact with any of the fans. Like, if they go to give you a high five, you have to pie them to walk past them like you're nearly apologising you're like look I'm not rude it's protocol you know we're travelling we're not flying to games now so we travelled 14 hours to Dallas oh, we're doing Jesus. 12 hours to Madison next week we've done 12 to Orlando sorry we drove 7 8 to Orlando last week and then drove the rest the following day um, so it's Ray weird it's, it's weird yeah it's just even the fans here it's just a weird atmosphere I feel like they can't enjoy it proper Mm. Um, and that's just from kind of being on the pitch looking out sort of thing it's you know and all the, the crazy stuff going on in the world at the moment it's just the, it's great for fans to, to be kind of it's like an escape you know what I mean it's like the real world you go and watch football for an hour and a half you know but at the same time it's not it's not proper if you ask me it's it just doesn't feel right so so after uh, from the 700 that, that turned up how many do you think will come back after you took your top off at the weekend <laughs> There's seven. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, like, like, a few camera angles weren't doing anything. <laughs> that was an amazing post, by the way. I got uh, battered. I got battered by the lads at home. They were getting photoshopped in McDonald's. <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Half Carolyn. the league were texting me saying, what's happened to you? <laughs> uh, uh, two, two questions for you very quickly. Uh, the first one is, um, you play Puerto Rico. Yeah. How was that? Like, because do you see any cockfighting? Because they're a baseball country, right? Like, I didn't know that they were, like, into football at all. It's all about rum and reggaeton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, to put it like this, I was the palest man on the beach in Puerto Rico. That was- <laughs> <laughs> you see me shirt off the other day. It was twice the time for me. No, you know what, Puerto Rico, I was living in San Juan. It was absolutely beautiful. Beautiful place. Now, the stadium was in Bayamon, which is about 25 minutes out of the city, which, as you say, it was a baseball stadium originally. Mm-hmm. And they changed it into a football stadium. The, the national team played there. But they're very into their football, big time. Yeah, I was very surprised. I mean, I, I had a welcome in the airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I'd signed, they got back and got me stuff. About 50 or 60 fans there. I was looking behind me saying, what are these? <laughs> they're waiting for someone, are they? I didn't know it was me. <laughs> they're welcome. Uh, but the, the team... It was very decent, like because it was the old NESL, um, mm-hmm. when the NSL was decent. Um, you know, they were paying good and they were getting great players. Um, majority of the team played for the national team. 
So they did the national experience. Um, but you were looked after big time there, yeah. Beautiful apartment in San Juan and stuff. Now, as I said, I was only there between that and the ACL, only probably a month, but uh, beautiful people and beautiful islands, yeah. Now, this is all, again, I talked to Conor Doyle, who's here. He played when Carmelo Anthony then took a franchise and stuff like that, and he said it wasn't the same, really. So I think I got lucky in a way. Well, on the ACL, so I was probably not very lucky, but uh, I got lucky in a way. I like, got it when, the, when the, the NSL was big, you know, and the league was big. But again, it was another kind of, when I look back at my career, it's just the most random move ever. <laughs> it's very random. Uh, before I pass it to Chris, the last one is uh, you play and score one goal in Europa League uh, against uh, uh, Levadia and for, it's from Estonia, I think. How was that experience though? You know, it's just your first uh, Europa League. Um, that's Joe Morelli's old team. Yeah. Too. Charles, yeah. Yeah. Levadia, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's actually crazy. That's yeah, a small Estonia. One. Yeah, yeah I, was coming, I was coming off a oh, geez, I've had so many injuries. I was coming off a calf or an Achilles <laughs> problem. Jeez, God knows. Well, some, some part of my body, anyway. But uh, <laughs> I, me too, bro. Me too. If I was a horse, I would have been put down longer. Um, yeah, so I, I only played 15 minutes and I got off the bench and Caulfield, John's a lunatic, an absolute lunatic, but mm. best coach I've ever had. Um, mad. He's like, look. We're defend they were down to 10 men he said if we do them on the count they're fair enough we just sit in you know we take a one nil lead to Turner's Cross and we again we countered down the left and I just found myself at the edge of the box and the ball went to Kiel Campy and a French fella and now that fella couldn't hit a barn door so I was hoping he wouldn't shoot so I was at the edge of the box <laughs> and he found me and I took it out of my feet and I'll never forget there was just zero backlift and it hit the top ends and I was brilliant. The great feeling. My dad always says, like, I, even when I was a young lad, we'd go away when I was playing with Shelburne, like 12 or 13. He's like, I'm going to play in Europe someday, that, even though I'm playing in it now, you know what I mean? Because I'm over in Belgium or Germany. <laughs> But then I always said to him, I said, I'm going to score. I'm going to score in the Europa League of Champions League qualifier, you know? And to kind of see that nestle with such a good strike, it's actually quite emotional because you think back of where you, when you're sitting on the bus afterwards, you're thinking back where your career went left, right, You thought you'd be here, you thought you'd be there, and to kind of do that on a stage like the European competition was special. And mm -hmm. probably my most memorable goal for Cork, for I mean, not for Cork in my career, but just with the, the magnitude and the scale. And because it was such a good strike, I was getting a lot of media attention and stuff. So that uh, was just a great feeling, yeah. And then we end up beating Levadi, and we went in a great run then. We played, well, the experiences in Europe, but I'll never forget, like, We played against Genk, arguably the best game we've ever played. We got beaten 1-0, they'll laugh at that one, but we were fantastic that night. Um, Indeedy, who went on to win a league with Leicester, he was playing. Uh, wow. Leon Bailey, who's playing for Leverkusen. Wow. Um, he went for 25 million quid uh, the year after. That's how I started my career at right back at Cork. I was playing right wing, and he was roasting our right back, and the gaffer put me right back at half time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was kicking lumps out and he got taken off after 15 minutes. Uh, so that kind of triggered me, me career at right back in Cork, believe it or not, Mark and Leon Bailey. I, uh, there's a funny story. If you ask anyone in Cork, they'll tell you. I probably shouldn't say this, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was obviously unbelievable. Like he was, I was just watching. I was playing right wing. I was, we were pretty much playing two right backs. And he was skinning us for fun. He mm -hmm. just obviously went for 25 mil, so he's good. Um So I came out of the second half and, you know, he kind of looked at me. So I put my finger straight up his arse. Right? 
was only 19, right? And he turned around to me and looked at me like, I'll never, I've never seen a look and so he's like, but and I go, I go, I'm a scumbag, I am. Like, I can't I'm here to kick you. I'm here to kick you. And he it. I've never seen someone. I the, the color went out of his face. Uh, so anyway, I, I hit him with fifty-fifty, and he was all over the place. He got booked for pushing me, and the, the, the manager took him off. And he had a fight with the gaffer on the sideline after getting taken off. And I was like, oh, yeah. he's like, how many of in his head that bad? But. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, you ask any Cork, any any of the fans of Cork, they'll tell you that story. Oh too. my God, Jesus Christ! I, I don't know how you can say you got it in his head. You got. Really. Oh man, that's fucking amazing. Way worse that was a, that was a bull statement. Way worse professional football. Way worse because I'm the pitch. A hundred percent. Welcome 100%. to the show, my friend. <laughs> Yeah, is there, a, is there a censored version of this show? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> we like the stories. Lovely. Oh god, it's an exclusive for Down the Pop. <laughs> Go for it, Chris. Oh man, that's great. You were um, talking about like sitting on the bus, looking back on your career, yourself individually. But Cork City, I've learned since doing the show with Anthony a lot about Irish football history, and it's a club that was literally hanging by a thread. So, what did it mean for you to be a part of that kind of revival for the club, and and basically the long-term longevity of the club because like you said every year it's one and two one or two one or two so I guess the relationship with the fans because clearly you guys would have ended up having a really tight one yeah to be honest looking at it now Chris it's <laughs> devastating to see where they are they're bottom of the league now uh and it's they're that years. bad right now yeah, yeah. oh they, no uh, like they went years. from they went from winning the double with yeah this is what i mean yeah, yeah to, we won uh, the double 2017 2018 we finished second and lost in the cup final they sacked our gaffer halfway through 19 just survived and they're bottom of the table now oh yeah, yeah. It's been so allow me to allow, allow me to rephrase that question you gave those guys a lot of joy so now looking at it I suppose, because I clearly didn't do enough research on how things are going there now. But, you know, to bring them so much joy, clearly you feel that pain right now too. Yeah, because I, I had a big statement when I left, you know. The relationship I had with them fans was you couldn't describe, like, how close we were. And, you know, get goosebumps thinking about it now. There's a famous thing, like, no one in Cork likes someone from Dublin. It's just an unwritten rule, like... Yep. So when I signed, I knew there'd be pressure. I was like, right, you're a dub. And again, I'll be honest, if things went wrong, you're the first to get the blame. You know, you're a dub down the cork. You don't give a shit about the city. You know, it's you know it's a fan-owned club. You're only here for a pay packet, blah, blah, blah. Which is totally understandable. You know, you're going to one of the biggest teams in the country. So I end up scoring on my debut. And after that, I just never look back. I mean, I'd go to, I'd go to events off the field, you know, hospitals, stuff like that. And not for the take pictures or whatever. I just love the people at Cork. I just, they were so ingrained into their football club. As you said, as, sorry, as I said, it's fan-owned. They were literally on the brink of extinction. They were gone. Um, I think they got bailed out by, again, the fans. They're called Foras. That's the group that saved them. They're friends of the Rebel Army, because Cork's called the Rebel Army. Um, and they literally sent the team up to Derry a week later. They just put a team together, sent them up. They got a draw up in Derry, unbelievably. Um, and then I think, whatever, years later, then we came in, I came in 2015, and to bring the cup final, to win the cup in 2016, like, I'll never forget that. 
it was a long throw in uh, last kick of extra time. Shawnee Maguire is now a Preston. He's gone on to be an Irish international stuck in the back of the net. And I ran behind the back of the goal. There was grown men, grown grandfathers, fathers with their son, bawling, crying. Like, I mean, like a, just an outburst wow. of how many years of their football club from going to the brink to being at the top. Um, and I remember, I'll never forget looking at as I ran to the boys, the, the dog pile, just looking at, at these grown men. And after the game, there was an open top bus through the city. I think there was seven or 8,000 in the city green flares, smoke going through and like to this day I go back to Cork and you're treated like a hero, you know what I mean? It's like you can't you can't put your money in your or you can't put your hand in your pocket to buy a drink. You know, people come up to you having dinner, like beats you mind, take a picture with the young lad, like he's a he's a massive fan. Thanks for everything you did. And the relationship I had with them was special. I not many and I'm privileged that not many people I know for a fact will have that with any fan base. Um and I said my when I said me goodbyes and my big letter is like you know, players come and go. I could have been there 10 years, but the fan base is always there through thick and thin. So I'll continue being a fan after I left. And I still, every I'm watching the Watch League of Ireland. I bought the pass so I could watch all their games. Even when we're on the road, I have it on the phone. And it is tough to watch because I know how much they're hurting the people of Cork to see where they're at now. Um, there's only two boys left from the double winning team, which shows a turnover. Um, so from our 2017, there's Mark McNulty, the keeper, Garrell Morris, who's captain, and Alan Bennett, sorry, three. Other than that, it's a total new team. Um, and some people say, like, is it upsetting? Does it tarnish what you lads did or whatever? And I say no, because it makes us realise what we've done. You know, I think if they had to stay at the top, you're thinking they're a great team. They're going to keep being a great team. You know, you're if you're Liverpool's for your foreseeable future, you know, these top, top teams and to see the full 360 makes you realise what, what sort of history you're part of. And that does mean a lot for sure. And you're building history now in Chattanooga, um, a city that already had a professional team. And, and when you guys started the world, well, the last year when the program started, it was actually kind of controversial in a way because there was some people involved with another group and, and this and that. So I guess you were talking about a city where the, the fans literally own the club. Now you're in a city where there's two clubs where the fans are not really divided, but there's that competition. So I guess kind of um, dive us into the Chattanooga football culture. Like how have you guys kind of made your stamp in a city that already had a club? And at the same time, how have you guys worked with them to continue to build a, a greater soccer culture? Well, they're definitely divided. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's you're either blue or CFC or red at the Red Wolves, you know, there's a there is hostility now, not to the players. I I made it all their team. Like, you know, I actually went and watched them play after our game on Saturday night. Um, you know, so with regards to the players, there's no hostility. Obviously, don't ever the young guys probably think, Oh, we could beat you or they could beat us or vice versa, or whatever. But for me it's more yeah, a hundred percent they're fully fan owned. You know, they were here 10 years before the Red Wolves got here. Um, if you ask me, do I understand why they're pissed off? Yeah, 100%. You know, you're kind of just coming into their city, what they built. But at the same, same time, you're bringing in fully professional football to a city that's obviously football mad, you know. Um, some people broke away, some people stayed, you know, academies, this, academies, that. But at the end of the day, the product that's on the field speaks volumes, you know, so... And um, I never really dealt, I never ever, not really, never ever dealt into the politics side of it. As I said, I'm friendly with a lot of their fans, friendly with a lot of their, I go for a beer with their coach, you know, because um, he's a football man. 
we wouldn't even talk about my team or his team. It's more about general football, what what shape he played or what shape we play. You know, it just is good lad to talk to. So, you know, some people probably look at that and think, oh, that's disgraceful. You know, you're playing for the Red Wolves. He's the head coach. But when you're a football man, you're a football man. You know, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, there's definitely, definitely some quarrels going on and, you know, some prominent figures went either way. So, I try to stay out of that part. And it's, as you can tell from the little conversation, I'm mad about football no matter what, what it is. So, yeah, it's, uh, they, but they, it's, it's fantastic what they do too. As I said, because I've seen it with Cork, fan on to, to get the fans they have. And, you know, they're playing at Finney Stadium, which is UTC's American Football Stadium. So it's a massive stadium. So, but I think it's great for the city to have both teams. Like, as I said, I played for the Red Bulls at one o'clock on Saturday. I went and watched the boys play Saturday night. So if you're a football man, it's great. You get two games. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's right it's, on. it's it's kind of like a a smaller version of a lot of European cities where you've got two or three, four big clubs, and you can go watch a game at one, and then go watch a game at five or six, depending on how far away you are. And uh, I I just I think it's really cool what you guys are doing. Honestly, like I know you said you understand why they're mad, but it's really cool to see a city. It's not the biggest city in the world, but have two clubs with prestige pushing each other to the top at some point in time. You never know how the future is going to turn out those could be two clubs playing at the peak of the American football pyramid. And, and I think that it's, it's only good for the city. So it, it's pretty cool seeing somebody like yourself, a part of it, brother. And um, thanks for coming on the show, man. Oh, I'd appreciate it. We just got the soccer specific stadium here. They just built a brand new stadium for us. So having Nashville in the MLS, it's great for the state. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're only an hour and a half to row for Nashville. So if you want more football, you go watch the MLS on the Sunday. So, it's a, it's a winner. So just going back to your, your just before we finish up, just going back to your time at Cork, uh, what was it like uh, taking a penalty in the uh, FA Cup final in front of 25,000 people? <laughs> Genuinely, I still get nervous thinking about it. I, it's it's oh. rotten. It was a rotten feeling. Disgusting. Never want to do it again. <laughs> I, I mean that. So we, we practiced penalties religiously for months because we started in the summer for the European competitions just in case. And honestly, even like around the Wednesday or Thursday, the gaffer go up to take a pen on both sides of Bishopstown training ground, just, you know, just to get repetitions. And, and I was hitting the well all week leading up to the cup final. I had a, had a funny chat with Shane Griffin. I was like, we were fighting over who's going to go eighth or ninth. Like, I, in case someone misses, I'm not going. Like, you know, I don't have to stick. <laughs> we were nearly fighting over the last places. You know, he, he's like, oh, fuck you. I'll take the eighth one. You take the ninth one. So... Anyway, the final whistle went uh, of extra time, and the gaffer's like, right, he was on penos, and, you know, Shep, Greg Bulldrop, looked at hand, and Shep looked at me, he's like, why is your hand up? I said, Shep, I'm not taking a fucking penal. I'm shitting myself. He's like, no, you're hitting them great. You're hitting them great. He said, oh, please, no, you have to. He goes, Beat said he take one. I was like, oh. Oh, my God. nominated me. I was thinking, Beats, yeah. I was like, yeah, right, you're fourth. I was thinking, oh, my God, fourth, the worst. Fourth, the worst, because if everyone scored, you miss yours, their fifth one has a chance to win it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're never going to get any glory on fourth. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what's the chance you hit the winner? Fourth, unless the lads miss three. <laughs> so I think, all right, fourth, great. Saddler, of course, glory. I'll take the fifth. Love it, right? <laughs> I never, it's weird, though, like the walk up, you're thinking, like, you'll hear all these psychologists, like, you know, you walk up with a clear head, you know, which is you and the goal. You know where you're going to go. You don't have to look at the goal. I was the opposite. I was thinking, if I miss, I have, to, I have another contract. I, I have to get out of my contract. I'm thinking, they're not going to offer me another year. 
I swear, <laughs> you're from walking to the halfway line to the penalty spot. It no took joke. forever, those steps, eh? Oh, I don't mind about me walking in reverse. Uh, <laughs> I, and, and you're thinking, and I'm thinking after 2006, this is all the walk up, I'm thinking uh, after your throw in 2016, you know, Shawnee, now you're going to take a penalty, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? Got up, and then I swear, I, th- I thought of John Terry slipping too. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> what are you doing to yourself? I don't know. I killed myself. I, good man. I, good I, man. Uh, I'd be just like all Dave O'Leary focused. You oh, know what I mean? I, I, everyone says their focus are full of shite. Uh, <laughs> oh. At least I'm honest. So, I had my spot picked, but Gary Rogers had gone my way the first three panels. And I was like, look, I can't change. You know, I still have to go on my spot. And um, I was like, look, just try and hit the corners. And... Um, Ended up going up, striking it, hit it well, and just seeing him go the other way. So once you see him move, you're just thinking, fuck, I hope he don't hit the post. <laughs> you know, you're still not safe. Uh, and then a net the bottom corner. And the dog fans have always given me shit, always for some reason, because I was playing right back. And obviously, you can tell from a little bit about me, I give it back, you know, having a crack with them, you know. And so they were abusing me when I went to take the penalty, you know. Scaries isn't far from the dog. And, I was getting all sorts about my mother, my sister, and probably God knows what else. And uh, <laughs> the score, they just went like that, like just shut them up. Oh, uh, man. And that picture, that's my screensaver on my computer. <laughs> um, but then Nicky Duffy stepped up and missed the one after me, then Sads went up. And, so I'm just thinking, like, if I had to miss that, like Michael Duffy probably doesn't miss that and they go on to win it, you know? So I was, it, it was fantastic. And looking back, I'm so happy I did it, but... Jay's never again. Where you were thinking in chipping it? Are you joking me? <laughs> I was just you're like, I'm trying to make a contact with the ball. <laughs> I just wanted to hit the ball. That's it. Oh, that's crazy. So, um, so just when you go back to Cork, then obviously you, you, it was the first double in their history and like all that kind of stuff. Like, what was uh, what was the celebrations like when you got back there? Like, do you remember any of it? <laughs> It was unbelievable. We went back Soho Bar. It's probably the biggest bar in Cork. And they were our main sponsor. So, obviously, we free meal and drink uh, still in Dublin um, on the way back down to Cork. We got back in the bus. Every sort of drink, alcohol you could want. Jesus, there was everyone. It was like a mobile <laughs> bar. So, we got back down to Soho. Uh, VIP event. Fans, the season ticket holders, I think, were allowed up. And we bought trophies with us. And, we were on the stage that night um, just to whoever was in Soho downstairs. And then there was an open-top parade the following day. Um, obviously, you're in your cup final suit. So I woke up still in my suit. <laughs> went, went to the early house with Mark McNulty, uh, Shane Griffin. There was a few of us still in the suits now. Like, I mean, the tie's still tied to the... Um, I think you're in the Chateau at half nine in the morning. Just straight through then. Um, no sleep. <laughs> on the open top bus looking around Jace um, <laughs> then into the nightclubs but oh, nah. you knew you were in trouble when John Caulfield had his tie wrapped around his forehead like a, like a scout you <laughs> knew it wasn't going to be a long night so but again it went on for I think it was three days and then 20 of us went to Tenerife for a week oh my god <laughs> yeah they ran out of drink on the plane there was nothing left on the bar cart <laughs> so we that's, that's not a very far no, it was four hours from Dublin. Yeah, from oh shit! Okay, yeah, yeah, it was it was far. Um, it's actually further than you think down there. So um, again, great times. And we knew Greg was leaving. Greg Bolton was going to Rovers. 
Shawnee had already gone to England. So the, the team was kind of, the legacy was kind of splitting up. And it was kind of sad in a way. You're in Dublin Airport after Tenerife, coming from the all-time high to thinking, Jesus, we just hope to compete next year, you know. Um, you're losing your, your mates. And that was the tightest group of, of players I've ever played with. Like, the dressing room was rock solid. Like, I've seen grown men, tears, blood, everything you can imagine in a dressing room. Like, I always said, if there had been the, the documentary, the one that Amazon are doing, it would have made a fortune. Like, you know, just <laughs> going with Caulfield on that journey was just... So uh, they'll, make, they'll, they'll make a fortune about the, the, ne the next day Hanover or, or the whole season? I'm just going to update your Wikipedia page later on when your honours bit. Drank the plane draw. I don't know what to yeah, tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Including the date. Right under the cup victory. Right under the cup victory. I made the yeah. team of the decade. And that was nice and special. But then a the week later... I got voted onto the shit house eleven, so it's the biggest shit houses to ever play in the league. And I got in there in the starting eleven, so that's a CD. Oh man, yeah. that meant more to be the team of the decade. They must have seen you do that finger thing on Leon Bailey. Uh, that's, a, that's a true double, as far as I'm concerned. That's a true double. That's a scene right there. So, um, just when we finish up the, the, the show, we're just going to ask the same kind of couple of questions to people. So, um, what's the, what's your favorite pair of boots you've ever owned? Oh, the old school Adidas Predators. Yeah, the, the black with the... the oh, geez, you can't beat them. Yeah, the Beckham ones, yeah. yeah. Nice. I think I had every type, Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, if you're going to play in a five-a-side tournament, from the players you've played with, who would be on your team? Oh, great question. You have to have a keeper. Nope, it's up to you, man. Uh, I love Shawnee McGuire is my first draft pick anyway. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love the shows. Everybody always asks, do you need a keeper? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. I know, yeah, it's like... Cut them, <laughs> they don't count. Yeah, yeah. No, we'd have Shawnee in there, uh, Kieran Sadler, who just signed for Rotherham in the championship, played with Anthony Stokes growing up. I mean, nice. Yeah, he's unbelievable. Uh, Johnny Evans, when the United Academy with him. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I wouldn't put myself near it, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I'd put in a... Who's going to kick the penalties? and then Alan Bennett uh, just for the career Bennett's had and he made me into the right back I was playing beside him just the way he spoke about the game like it just it was his class like you know it was like a Rolls Royce uh, and he talked to me after the game for hours about my position and what I'd done right what I'd done wrong and I'd never had the career I had if I didn't start playing beside him he was the right side of centre half wow what a legend huh um, and then uh, the food you miss the most from home uh, it has to be a chipper doesn't it <sighs> big time what's yours Anto the exact same <laughs> I can't, it's not the same having a few points and not being able to get like a batter sausage on the way home oh, man, Jesus, bro. <laughs> uh, Carlos far away there man top three forwards from midfielders currently or could be in the past top three admire. forwards and top three midfielders And no, or forward or midfield, like any you want. Um, present time, De Bruyne has to be in there, man. He's just unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm a fan, but Salah is just frightening too. Pace finish, like his goal the other day, they'll touch off the studs, top corner. It's just fantastic. Oh, mm. unbelievable. Um, shit, my five side, by the way, <laughs> what I was thinking about that. Colin Healy would have to be a, oh, 
Yeah, I mean, the amount of players I'm leaving out there, Dan Murray, Colin Healy, Lee Miller, the late Lee Miller. Wow. I played with Miller for his last year at Cork. I mean, Jesus Christ, what a player. Uh, yeah, so I cut out a couple of teams. Um, but to answer your last question, Salah, De Bruyne, and for old school, Roy Keane. This guy's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> just play Roy, Roy Keane in the middle and let the other two boys run around we're, uh, we're big uh, we're big Roy Keane fans on the show so oh jeez yeah you mean it gave us so I was coaching course Candy Cup team and the head coach was uh, married to Roy Keane's sister so I met him a good few times yeah oh wow oh yeah yeah um, do you have we, like do you have like a photo that you can send to Crouchy are you joking me? <laughs> I, I listen to that podcast I wouldn't even dream of it <laughs> He went to, he's still a Cork City fan, so he went to all our games. He'd be there all the time, like. Um, wow. And there's great stories of kids going up to self. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck. Honestly, like, <laughs> him sitting there like, oh, no, uh, But we, we did a, in 2000, the start of 2018, we'd done a, a week uh, pre-season camp in Manchester City. Um, and he came in and gave us a talk. He said, boys, ask me whatever you want. Like, literally, there's no... He'd had a few points, I think. He said, boys, ask us whatever. Like, just no recording phones, no bullshit, he said. Just ask away, I'll be honest. And we were asking him all sorts of questions, like, about what happened to Saipan. We are asking, like, the real story from him. Um, I asked him when he knew he was suspended for the Champions League final against Juventus, went on to score the header. I said to him, I said, uh, like... Did that drive you on knowing you're, you're missing the game, you're doing it for your teammates? I said, no, I've done it for myself. He said, I was so pissed off myself that I wasn't going to leave it out there in the pitch. He said, I, I, I'm paid to do that, you know, to drive a team, leave the team, but it was from his... Uh, some of the stuff he gave us that week, that it was only, I'd say it was actually about an hour and a half, and it was fucking frightening, like, frightening about it. When he done his ACL, the tackle from Holland, when he went and done it, we were asked him, did he ever regret it? You can tell it. You can guess what he said. To me. <laughs> yeah. oh, just, but he was fantastic. I'd never seen that side. You see all the bullshit about him, you know, so, which was crazy fucking. But like, uh, just the honest, open book. Again, no bullshit. And, and he he's, every he's single. Fu- he's funny as fuck too. Like, oh, he's he did, when he did the off the ball special with him and Gary oh, Neville, there, man, I was in tears laughing. Like, yeah. I put a bit like at the clip of when he was talking about. Um, Maddie Taylor, the Maddie Taylor stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking yeah. brilliant. Oh, telling us about, like, I think Darren Ferguson, Alex, he was telling me how much he hated Ferguson. And he's saying that uh, Darren, he said, for, Ed Ferguson had a job for Evan and his family in Manchester. He said, he's, I think he's seen his granny working as a tea lady or something, you know? <laughs> uh, but he, it was funny, he said, even Darren, he had a big row with Darren. And I think Darren was manager at Peterborough at the time or someone when he was, ten, he said, I used to go in and check the scores and live score and hope Peterborough lost. And then he's like, I don't hold grudges though. <laughs> oh, I fucking love it. Chris, do you want to go ahead there, man? Let this poor man get back to his life. Oh, that's fantastic. Actually, before I ask my questions, I actually do have a quick question. You just mentioned Liam Miller. And um, for his short time with Manchester United, he was actually really engaged with the supporters. And uh, I actually quickly have a Liam Miller story. A buddy of mine um, ended up winning like some draw and in the draw he got Liam Miller. And, and if I'm not mistaken, like the list of players was, geez, Louis Saha, John O'Shea, Wes Brown, and then Liam Miller. So he gets Liam Miller and he's a little upset. Mm-hmm. So he talks to Liam and Liam kind of gives him, you know, a, a more of an interview, I think, than the other three would have gave him. And of course, my buddy asked him at the end, can you send me a signed kit? So signed kit, fine. 
Months later, of course, he doesn't hear back from him, but he's on loan with Leeds at the time, and he sends him a signed kit, and it's a Leeds kit. <laughs> he says, thanks for the terrible questions. One of the worst times of my life, mate, signed Liam Miller. And for, like, well over a decade, he was just one of those, like, cult favorites. So give us a Liam Miller story, brother. It's not even a story. It was just a t- such a gent, like a gentleman. And it was so sad to see what happened because, I, like – he didn't eat meat. He came in with smoothies, just healthy, go-lucky fella, you know, full of chat. And when I signed there, I was nervous, like Lee Miller. He's lived every Irish guy's dream, you know, played for Ireland, played for Celtic, played for United. I mean, that's my tree, you know, and he, he'd lived it. And I was really nervous, and straight away, he's just straight away, hey, beats you, all right, just chatting like a normal fella that's, that's played the game for a year. I sat beside him in a dressing room. I think he was 22, I was 21 when I signed, as in numbers-wise. Um, so I was beside him in a dressing room, and, I wouldn't even annoy him about United or Celtic or anything, um, but he'd tell you stories without even asking. But Mark and Dulty was his best mate. Like They did everything together. Um, and I decided Nuts when Nuts got the phone call. We were actually in Manchester for the camp about when he passed away. And geez, the, oh, I'll never forget the funeral. Like From what he's done to the game, the figures that were there, with just the, just the sadness of someone so healthy that's lived the dream that we could all just dream of. He lived it, done it, seen it. You know, I went to the, they had the big thing in Park Naquive in Cork to raise money for the family and stuff. Um, you know, you see all the United legends there and just to see what he meant to the game of football just shows like, I probably did take it for granted in the dressing room, sitting beside such a legend. But then again, you just don't want to be that guy where you're like probing and stuff. So when I look back at it, it was a, it was just an honor to, I call him a mate, you know, I wouldn't even call him a, a teammate or call him a, just footballer that, that went on to make millions. He was just a, a mate, like, and everyone on the team was like that with him. That's fantastic. Like I said, he, he, he was only with the club for a short time, but, you know, this was the, the kind of the infancy of social media. So he was on the MySpaces, and I mean, yeah. Manchester United wasn't even on Facebook yet, and I think it was him. Like I said, it was him, John O'Shea, Wes Brown. Like, these guys were really in tune trying to connect with the fans, and he, like I said, he, he was barely a bit part player and, and left such a staple on the Manchester United fan base. So it's, it's actually really cool to hear a story like that because, you know, you do hear that these guys, despite them getting to that peak, are still willing to, to share these stories. Yeah. And uh, you sound like you, you took all that info in. Was it true, like the, the Roy Keane thing, that Roy Keane told Ferguson to sign him? Did he ever talk about that? Because that was like always like that kind of myth or legend that was going around Ireland yeah. at the time that like Roy Keane was the one who told... Alex Ferguson to sign him for United? Oh, we didn't ask him, and I never asked Miller or anyone. Um, I, 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 Keane had so, odd. Yeah, well, Keane had so much pull at the club at the time, probably, you know. It, it, was, like, it was the unwritten that yeah. like Anthony just said. Like, I was a big Red Cafe guy at the time, and that yeah. was like kind of the, oh, this is, this is Keno's second signing because the joke was that John O'Shea was the first signing. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, no, sorry, the third signing because Darren Fletcher was the second signing, even though he's Scottish. Right. Um, he plays like he's Irish. That was the joke, right? So, <laughs> Can't yeah. pass the ball, can you not? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, the, yeah, cheers for that, man. Because like I said, uh, as a Manchester United lifelong supporter, you know, those are the guys that actually make up the club. Like we talk about the Roonies and Ronaldos, but guys like Liam Miller, man, those are stories. And, and oh, man, just to, just to show how he was, he moved into the hospice. And I sent a note, it's like, I want to give him a text now. I, you don't know what to say, do you? Like, you know, it's, guy has a couple of weeks left. So I just text him, look, Miller, you know, 
hope you're doing well. Thanks for everything, whatever. To send back such a uh, legend beats, you know, uh, what a player. And for him to say that to me, it was like, fuck. Like, geez, that means the world, like, you know. And I, want, like, I want Roy Keane to tell me to fuck off. That will be like the Pope lesson, you know? Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, um, yeah, um, thanks so much for giving us so much time, man. I really, really appreciate it. It's like you've... You, you, you need to write a book. You've got so much shit yeah. you've seen and you've been everywhere and um, it's it's been inc incredible um, talking to you. Um, good luck tomorrow. I know you're playing Greenville on the weekend. Uh, Omaha tomorrow, Greenville Saturday. Yeah, so you're going to be playing against another uh, uh, League of Ireland alumni, uh, Jake Keegan. So, uh, hopefully oh, yeah, Jake's good lad. Yeah. yeah, Jake Keegan. Yeah, yeah, so he's a friend of the show too. So, yeah, man, um, best of luck and uh, say hello to Amo for us. Thank Always you. Pleasure, though. Thanks very much for having oh, me. Cheers, buddy. Really Steven, appreciate thank it. you very much. Appreciate Thanks, it. Anytime. Bye. So welcome to part two of the Down the Pub podcast. Uh, we are going to do our player reviews of the game against Calvary last Saturday. Um, it was kind of weird. I had to watch rewatch the game because I was standing and talking to friends and drinking on Saturday at the Wanderers ground. So I did, I, I, the game seemed a lot better than what it was. And when I watched it back today, I was just like, Jesus, we were lucky. So um, <clears throat> on that that note, uh, Stephen Hart himself even said that he uh, maybe got his tactics a little bit mis mixed up at halftime. So uh, anyway, um, so let's uh, get straight into our player reviews here. So uh, what did you give the Ox, uh, Chris? Uh, seven and a half for me. Um, his command actually came in handy the way Cavalry took the game over when they were down a man. So yeah, seven and a half, just command. Me too. Uh, he, had, he had a great game again. Um, it, it's yeah, he definitely has control of the of his area, and yeah, there was, there was a couple of like hairy moments there that he did really well with. Uh, how about you, Carlos? Seven and a half. Um, solid game again. He uh, um, it was one that he was on the corner. He almost saved a corner to concede one. Was good. Seven yeah, and a half. Let's move on to uh, Chris. Um, Chris, go ahead. You you called him a, a revelation the other day, and I think that's yep. the best word for him. A solid eight, and you know, just making superstar players look average. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I think uh, he's definitely worked an eight. Um, he uh, he's definitely made that that right back position his own. Uh, Carlos, eight solid game for Enzo. I don't know what happened that, but he was just like with that mentality, like I'm just gonna play and. He's going to play like a pro, and he's a pro, and eight. So uh, switching flanks, uh, Mateo, uh, what did you give him, Carlos? Eight. Mateo, it was, it was such a big game against Calvary, you know, runners up last season, potential champions, I hope not, but running up for this year maybe, who knows, we'll see tomorrow or today when we launch this episode, but uh, Jesus Eight, like it was great. You know, it feels it feels like he was in the team for a while. Solid game for him. Eight bites. 
Chris. Yeah, I have quickly fallen in love with this guy. I am now seeing what you guys saw, and I am still Alex's number one fan, but I see why Steven has a hard time choosing between these two. Um, I know we're trying to get through these quick, but my one real quick note about Mateo. This man played central midfield for 10, 15, 20 minutes for the first time in his career and didn't look out of place. I, the kid leaves me legitimately speechless game after game. Um, and the reason that I give him an 8.4 is because my man of the match was an 8.5. So um, I see what you guys saw now, and I might even see too much more than you guys see. <laughs> I wish that he was a little bit more um, – what Mateo needs probably is being a little bit more risky, not on the exits, on, on, the, on the left band, just like maybe trying to shoot. I want to see how his, like, you know, it will be half – it will be good to have options with the wingers, you know, trying to shoot outside the box and see how it goes. I actually kind of like that those. because, like, if in a full season, you could see Steven throwing him at left wing once or twice yeah. just to see because he's got that cut in ability at left back. If he sure. does have a shot that we don't quite know about yet. That's what I want to see. Like, you know what I mean? Or even that, like, kind of penetrating pass to the striker. It yeah. might work out. Left wing, so so yeah, I'm gonna give him. Um, I'm gonna give him an eight. Um, he did one. <clears throat> he did a really great challenge uh, outside the box. I think it was against uh, in, in the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of showed you what he's all about. He just uh, he's he's cool, calm, and he got forward there. Like he set up the header chance for Akeem. That Akeem should have buried. Akeem had two really great uh, headers, and uh, he didn't finish either one. So uh, moving on to uh, gems. Chris, what did you give Gems? Uh, eight for Gems. Uh, super calm. Um, even when he was under pressure and made mistakes, he cleaned up his mess and is literally Peter's partner next year. As Yeah, no, just keep Gems. Sweet. Um, I give him, I'm going to give him an eight as well. It's just, it's just like when somebody's just consistently getting an eight every week, it's always a good sign. Fantastic player. Uh, Carlos? Eight. Eight and eight. Um, solid game. I, I didn't even notice. Like, you know, he had to be when he had to. He had to tackle when he had to. He had to stop somebody when he had to. Complete uh, fullback. Eight, eight pies. Extra cheese. Nice. Uh, moving on to Peter. What to give Peter, Carlos? I'll give Peter uh, 7.5. He got a good game. Um, uh, it, it was time that uh, I feel like he went on, on the attack. Both. Uh, full backs and that kind of like made me a little bit scary, but the transition on, on the way back was good. Um, they they were not a position. I saw a couple times that he went a little bit to the right to support the the right back. Um, he was good to me. Seven seven point five. Nice, uh, Chris. He was my man of the match. Um, Eight point five, especially again like when they scored that goal they actually looked like that first two, three minutes after that they were going to get that second one right away. And the guy who stopped every possession was Peter. So that literally picked up a whole damn point for me. So I would have had Carlos to score right up until they scored. And, and I'm not saying you're wrong, Carlos rewatch after they score again, maybe the best of the best of Peter. And I literally truly feel like he's back. I, I, he was my man to match too, actually. Um, I think that, um, the second half when we were under a lot of pressure when tactics are not we, we shouldn't have been but we were and every time that we are in, in that situation he's the coolest head in the back line and yeah he's fantastic I'm going to give him nine um, so moving on to Sissoko Carlos 
Man, what a game. Sissoko was yesterday was... If, if he's been playing good every game, the first half, he was just immaculate, you know? He was just, like, brilliant. All the spaces, all the passes, all the balance of the team of the lines, you know, three-thirds of the pitch are going to give Sissoko 8.5 pies with extra cheese. Nice. Chris? I might have to do these extra add-ons just to make my scores count. Like, yeah, he's like uh, similar to Mateo, like 8.4 man of the match material until Peter did what he did in the last few minutes. Like um, we've been singing Sizzo's praises this entire tournament, but again, in a game where we're actually up a man and look like we're down a man, he still finds a way to control the game. And with that extra space, he exploited it better than we all did. So um, yeah, he was probably actually, honestly, my man of the match right up until Peter did his thing at the end. So yeah, 8.4. Um, I gave him a seven and a half. I just think that, um, <clears throat> we, like we were really good up until, uh, up until halftime and then whether what Steven did or whether we just switched off, he just didn't quite seem the same. So that was the only reason why, uh, I just gave him that little bit less. So, uh, moving on to... My player of the tournament uh, so far, uh, Rampersat. What did you give him, Chris? Now, this is to your point really quickly. When he made the change at halftime and Sisso's partner was Louis, we saw the discontent. Not that there's anything wrong with either one of them. It's that that partnership doesn't work like Sisso works with Rampy. Um, I only gave Rampy a seven, but just because he did nothing wrong, did everything that he had to right. Um, what I noticed was that after he came off at halftime, the entire structure changed. And that tells me, and I think is going to tell Pacific tomorrow and whether it's Forge or Cavalry in the final on Saturday, if we play in the final on Saturday, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself. I keep trying to tell everybody don't get ahead of yourselves. Um, they're going to look at Rampersad now as the guy. I think everybody now knows that he's the guy. So um, everything changed when he went off, and yeah, I think that this is uh, this is his time to show what you said, Anthony. You know, we're talking about Akeem being the MVP. Whoever votes for those awards, I really, really hope they've been watching Rampy. Me too, uh, Carlos. Um, you, there's a cliche saying that you don't have, you don't know what you have until you lose it. So that pretty much happened with the tactic nonsense that we pull in the second half. I don't want to get into details because the whole world, not the whole world, but everybody saw it. But you see how important is Rampersat in this team. Rampersat is the wheel. It's like having a car without a wheel, you know? And that's what we show on the second half, a car without a wheel and flat tires. It was tactically, how do I say this? Unexpected, <laughs> Unexpe unexpected, tactically unexpected what I saw. Tactically un un unexpected because you got a team that it was the runner-up last season and is one of the toughest opponents this season and probably a runner-up too again. We, we don't know what's going to happen. Or a potential champion, no, dis uh, no discredit to us or Forge. But... You're winning 2-0. You are 10 men down. Are you going to start parking the bus? Are you freaking kidding me? Honestly, 
this is nonsense. It's absolutely nonsense. I just don't get it. Sorry, I needed to let it out. But there's the press release that backed me up. Like they, they said it too. So that's all I have to say. And with that tactical difference that we show on the second half, going back to, to Anthony's uh, review about Rampersat, that show how important is Rampy to this team. So I'm going to give Rampersat nine pies. Wow. What we saw when Rampersat went off, Morelli's game went down a notch. Rigi's game kind of went down a notch. Actually, later on, Rigi's game picked it up a notch. We'll get to that after. Um, Sissoko, his game kind of went down a notch. The center backs were looking for an outlet because Louis wasn't quite in those pockets. And we were just talking about Restrepo being that cutting guy. Often, he tries to find Rampy because sometimes Sissoko's the one sitting back when Restrepo's going forward. So to Carlos's point, back to my point, he's the heartbeat, the wheel, like Carlos said. And at halftime, it was literally like we had uh, a nail in all four tires once Rampy came off going forward. Yeah, like I mean, he, he played 45 minutes. Um, so I, like, I, I, I can't give him nine pies, to be honest. But, you know, like it's – you call it as you see it, man. And, like, I, I – to back you up a little bit, Carlos, because obviously we don't want to leave you hanging out to dry on your own. Uh, like, just reading Stephen's comments afterwards where he shouldered some of the blame for – the um the display like watching the game it was around around the sixty minute mark uh, that the the two commentators on one soccer said like they couldn't believe how deep we were sitting considering that we had eleven and they had ten um, and when I when I paused it just at that moment we literally ha- had like nine people behind the ball and like, just on the edge of our box I see if you how, how many it. times I mean, how many t- how many times did Chris go forward. Because how great a first half did he have? This yes. is amazing. amazing. Like, amazing. And then come the 60th what, 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 what minute, everything checked back. But right? what I don't understand is, like, why do we need, like, when we're that much we look in control like we, of the game, the first 20 minutes, we came out of the blocks, we were killing them with our pace, our power, like, Jay Wielden was all over the place, and then we, we decided, okay, we're 2-0 up, let's sit back. And I, I don't get it. Like, I mean, like, sometimes you need to go for the juggler in football. It, and it we looked like we ropes. were with 10 men and they were with 11. That's how bad we look on the second half. And, yeah, it's, and not, it's, not, it's not the player's fault, but it was a tactical decision. I respect that. He knows why he did it. And it's, that, that's, and, all, that's all I have to say. And honestly, I think this is the perfect time to talk about it because mm-hmm. that was the substitution. It was when Rampy went off. And it's not to discredit Louis. I actually thought Louis did great. Louis had a great game yeah. yesterday yeah, on, but it was on, just, on Saturday. But in, in the body of the match, we could have still used 15 more minutes of Rampy at least. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it just it, it made no sense to me. It was too soon. But, but, but I, I must say, though, like, on the flip side of that, like, when they scored the goal – we played our best 10 minutes of the game. We kept possession. We passed the ball around. So we were capable of it. We were capable of keeping the ball. And it, it like, because we woke it, up. No, but it was like, but, but I mean, no, that's yeah. the thing. Though. You, like, took, I mean, you, took, you, you kind of took the words out of my mouth, Carlos. So we've been talking about it being the theme of the tournament. You know, we have to concede to wake up. But that's, yes. Something has to happen to but wake up. So, and it, it's kind of crazy. Dangerous. That, that's I know. So dangerous. And, it, and, and, it's, and it's weird how it happens in a match where you're up a man for just about the most of it and you're up by two goals. Why does it take a goal for you to... And, and my buddy who, who is, is one of the fantastic viewers on Fox Sports 2, who's making the Canadian Premier League look good. Shout out to Mark. Thank you, brother. Um, he said the same thing. He said... You guys looked like you wanted to play like you were up two men. Like, because I, as a manager, 
if I was up 11 men to nine, would sit back. That's just easy. That's easy soccer. That's an easy win. And it's that kind of felt like what Steven was doing, almost like he was underestimating Cavalry's heart. He respected too much. Yeah. Too much. Well, kind of, kind of, I think, I think he, I actually disagree. I think he disrespected them, Carlos. I think he thought, how do you disrespect a team parking the bus when there are 10 men? I, 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 know what, I know what Chris is kind of saying. Chris is saying, like, he disrespected them by saying that we'd won the game and he took Rampersat off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I get that, but I, I honestly think that, um, uh, like, we, we just, it was just a, just a negative tactically. Like, I don't understand. And, like, I, I, I don't want to get into too much about, like, like my feelings on Steven. I, he's a great manager. Obviously, he's got his disbar, all that kind that of stuff. Is, yes. But sometimes his... His his conservative approach to the game is um, it can hurt us at times, and that's the only uh, get too far as well. Um, so let's go to. Like I said, uh, it was the perfect it was the perfect place I yeah. think to vent. I think it was yeah. because the last few games we haven't complained about much. I think oh. we've given Stephen his due credit, and he still deserves all his due credit, even for how he managed that game against Cavalry. I know we're still complaining, but you know he still managed to play chess I, I just, with his rooks just, longer, right? I, so I, I, said, I, I just find it, it just boggles my mind that like we, like at the start of the tournament, we weren't starting properly. Yeah. Last two games now, we've played really well in the first 20 minutes. So we've, we've fixed that bit. So then you go and you play like incredibly well for 20 minutes. And then it's like, okay, now lads, you, you've done, you've done your part. We just need to sit back now. Like, it's like, you know, it's, it's like you, you've gone too far. Let's rein it back in a little bit. And I, I don't, it's just a weird conservative approach to the game and like I just think that sometimes especially against a team like Calvary like I mean like allowing them to have that much of the ball is dangerous um, because they'll hurt you so um, it it shouldn't have been that nerve jangling at the end and um, fair play to the boys I think that they got got their shit together and that last 10 minutes was was probably probably the 10 best minutes of probably the tournament to be honest Um, so um, let's move on Uh, Corey Bent what did you give him Carlos? Uh, seven, seven buys. Um, I, I think he's, he's been hurt. And I feel like since that injury, like, I don't know how serious it is because we haven't heard that much, but I feel like he's not the same Corey before the injury. I feel like he's, he's not because he's lacking talent because he's a brilliant player, but I feel like he's just right there just trying to be precocious. And I, I, I want Corey to be a little bit risky, a little bit, um, uh, Shifty the way he plays, you know, very vertical. Um, I won the old cork, the, the the first two matches of Corey Bent, you know, the first, and I know that he has it. Uh, he hasn't had a bad game, but I know he can do more. So I'm going to give him seven pies. I, I thought in this one, I know the last time you were talking about, um, I can't remember who it was, you were saying that they had, uh, they were given a role by Steven to do something in the game. I think in this game, Corey was given the role of making sure that Farsi wasn't um, overrunning us because, like, I mean, he's been one of the players of the tournament and he's like, he really, he, was, he definitely hurts Pacific. Um, so I think that was kind of his tactic was to get Corey to track back. So I think it was a more of a defensive role that he was in. So I'm going to give him eight points because I think that, like, Mo Farsi had a pretty ordinary game by his standards. Uh, and I think a lot of that was due to Chris, obviously, but a lot of it was due to Corey, too. I think the two of those work very well on the wing together. So, mm-hmm. eight points for Corey. How about you, Chris? I'm literally right in between you guys, a seven and a half for just about everything you said, Anthony. Um, to Carlos's point, too, I've been the guy that said he's been injured. Um, he's not the Corey that I saw 
And I've seen Corey play back-to-back games. And in the second game, he's faster than everybody on the field. So um, I think he might be holding a knock. But um, to quote our boy Andy, he might have been the fall guy. So to your point, Anthony, he was playing a role. And him and Chris both did an incredible job. Um, so I gave him seven and a half just because going forward he lacked, but I really felt like defending, he was unbelievable to that. Um, he made a lot of great runs that didn't get the pass. So I do want to show Corey out for, um, potentially getting a goal last game because there were a couple of runs he was making between their fullback a Farsi actually. Yeah. So, um, their fullback and their center back, cause they were p- trying to like play a tighter role, uh, tighter structure after they had the red card and, Corey was finding ways to get in between and just wasn't getting the pass. So um, I think part of the reason why he may have looked injured still, if he's not actually injured was he did wind himself out in that first half off the ball. So um, like you guys both said, I agree with you completely. And that's why my, my rating is right in between. Sweet. Um, Rigi, Carlos, what's you give Rigi? I give Rigi eight pies, not eight, sorry, seven, seven and a half pies, not, not eight. Uh, I feel like he was studied pretty well by Cavs this match. I feel like they, uh, he was playing, they didn't give him much room to play. You know, he was always, they didn't put two players on him, but they always put somebody close. If, 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 you, if you check, uh, when we had the midfield, like sometimes Rampy tried to look for him and suddenly he had to do like that, that, that clockwise movement because he knew that he couldn't get, concede much space to them and just switch it to the, to the right band. Um, and that's how Tommy, and this is kudos to uh, Tommy Wilden Jr., you know, not kudos to, uh, really did what he had to, but he was pretty much mark on, like he was on the eyes of, of two defenders because they know the quality of player he is, and he, he, he did what he had to, but at the same time, he was just like open in space for Joao Morelli, you know, um, and that's why we, we, we can talk about that when, when we have to rate him, but uh, I gave uh, Riggi seven pies and a half. Yeah, I, I gave him the same, and I think uh, it was the same almost as uh, the far side. Like I mean, like uh, like Northover is like one of the best defenders, best fullbacks in in the league, and I think they pretty much just cancel each other out. Um, it was just two good players who were in top form, just uh, just going head to head, and uh, I, I think um, Rigi did a great job. The same as Corey, just like you know, like Stephen has everybody. That, part of a system when we don't have the ball everybody has a role to do and uh, like a space to, to make sure that they're covering and I think he did a, a very good job so yeah seven and a half points for me for Parisi it wasn't his most creative game but I think he uh, he worked really hard so yeah um, no um, I, I actually kind of agreed with Carlos um, just he's the one who wants to make that penetrating pass whereas Morelli wants to make that pass to retain possession and I felt like Tommy Wielden did a really good job of pressing Rigi out of the match. As the match went on, I felt like Rigi was one of our most important players because he was pressing from the front even more than Akeem was. And if you look back at the game, like after the 70th minute or so, there were times where Rigi was like the most north. So, yeah, for me it was a seven and a half because more so what he was doing on defense. So, yeah. Um, so then moving on to the Samba magician, Jack Morelli. Uh, what did you give him, uh, Chris? 
I honestly, I think my rating for him is lower only because my expectation of him is, is, is very high, as it is for everybody. He didn't do anything wrong. I was just kind of frustrated that every time he got the ball, he was checking back. But we were just talking about Stephen Hart taking responsibility for the tactics. And what I really love about this guy is it seems like he wants to play for the team. So I only gave him a seven. Um, I know it sounds crazy, low, but um, it's because I honestly thought he was going to bring us a little bit more. But at the same time, I felt like he didn't do anything wrong. He just settled everybody down. Sweet. Uh, Carlos? I'm going to give Joel uh, seven pints and a half extra cheese a little bit because, um, as I was saying about Riggy, um, Tommy Wheeler read the game, how he plays. So he put guys marking on. So what happened when you got two guys busy with Riggy, he's a bowler, and then you got Joao Morelli, which is extraordinary bowler too. And I feel like we rely, when you have a game that is tactically very analyzed, it was like a, like a game of chess, you know, and Tommy, and Tommy Wheeler Jr. is a great strategist reading the game. This is when you rely on your player individualities. And this is how Joao Morelli, um, talent, outstanding talent has to take us to the next level when the game is really this tie. And we were winning 1-0, I know, um, that penalty. But, but still, you know, Caps were like giving a fight. You know, they were trying to just to tie the game. But uh, that, that um, space that was created by Riggi and, and also Kudos to Siso, they gave it all that meat area. And that's why Joao started like going very vertical. And that's when uh, Cartucci has to, I got to go because he's going to score. And that's when he conceded that penalty. But he tried, he was almost like if Carducci didn't um, touch him, he was going to dribble Carducci and he was going to like do that crossing. It was going to be a golazo, honestly. So that's why I gave him like seven, seven point five. I wish that he could be, um, maybe he could try from the outside because I feel like in a game like we had against Caps, uh, we could try shoot maybe outside and give it a try, but uh, he didn't. Uh, and we have players that can. Uh, shoot outside the box so I feel like maybe next game we have to be a little bit more risky you know try to, to uh, when you have a game like this especially uh, uh, a rival against maybe we can try that against Pacific um, start like we got the space just try to shoot it Riggy can shoot Marshall can do it Morelli can do it so we have the tools we just need to be a little bit more risky in that really 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 quick note um, for Morelli's like everything Carlos just said it goes back to Rampersat again. After we were up 2-0, the combination with Rigi Morelli and then Rampersad Sissoko looked really crisp. Once Rampersad was off, that's when the stagnation kind of came into play. So it's all about Rampersad. He brings out the best of everybody around him, including Morelli. I, I think uh, for, for myself, I think that um, Gerald's been asked to play a position or play a, a, a style that uh, he's not really used to. Uh, where he's like expected to tackle an off lot. Um, I, I mentioned this in the last time too. Like his work rate has been phenomenal um, off the ball. Um, and like I mean, like just looking at how he was going to basically dribble around the best keeper, and one of the best goalkeepers in the league was incredible. So um, I'm actually going to give him an eight. I think just his off the ball work rate was phenomenal, and. Um, yeah, as I said, like, I mean, he's been asked to play somewhere, a style of play that he's probably not used to, and I think he's really stepped up to the mark with it. So, yeah, I'm going to give him an eight. Um, so, let's move to 
a lot of people's potential MVP for the tournament, um, Akeem Garcia. Uh, Chris, what did you give Akeem? Akeem was a seven and a half for me. And it's like, again, not that he did anything wrong. He did everything right. Just kind of one of those frustrating situations where I think Steven and, and you were just talking about Morelli. Like the reason Morelli was able to make that run to get that one-on-one on Carducci was they were kind of pressing on Akeem thinking that he was going to get that press pass and there, bam, was the space for Morelli. Um, Akeem does his job, does it well. And you can't ask for anything more. Um, just the emotion, you know, that guy plays with emotion and, you know, you want to talk about the Halifax Wanderers, the spirit of this club, it's still growing, it's still young. But when we look at Akeem Garcia, all of our, all of our hearts are with him. And that's, that's what makes him a special player to watch. And I, I feel like over the next two games, and I'm saying two games because now I'm getting overconfident, had a couple <laughs> shots of whiskey. Um, I honestly feel like we're going to see a guy who's going to play with this city's heart on his sleeve. So, um, yeah, I don't even care about my rating for Akeem. It's just like, you know, last year people were like, you know, the only reason why he was our leading goal scorer was because nobody else could score. You know, that was kind of a fluke. They're all going to figure him out. And he's proving everybody wrong. And it's inspiring beyond words. And like you you said, Anthony, that picture of Steven kind of like rubbing his shoulders after the game, like he looked like a proud father. You know, that's that's something that, the, the the Wanderers brings the world of football to our city. And these are like the little stories that we've heard from all over the world, but we've never actually got to experience in our backyard. And the Stephen Hart, Akeem Garcia story is something fantastic. And I really hope it's not over right now. Cause somebody said to me the other day, this boy could play in the premier league the way he's playing right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, like, it's yeah, a, it's a Fergie Ronaldo. It is man. Like you see a guy who is full of belief in himself and because of that, he scores goals. So um, I think, um, like he, he's asked to do so much for the team. Like I think out of all the players, like he's the one who has to put in the hardest work because he's up on his own. Like I know Joe was kind of pay, playing, kind of alongside him, but he's still like that main outlet of fun. So he has to do an awful lot of running because he's the one who starts to press. Uh, he's the one that has to make the runs in behind. He's the one that has to come get the ball sometimes. So he puts an awful lot of hard work in, and. Um, I, I call it bullshit on anybody who thinks that this guy was anywhere to just a fluke from last year because, I mean, Amen. even when you're watching him, like last year, it was more a lack of proper service that kind of kept him, um, like, away from the goals, I think. Like, I mean, he got seven. He's almost had that now in this short tournament. He's, he's a really great player. And uh, I just think that having a higher quality player around him is starting to show how good he actually is because – Great players need great players around them to make them be great. So, yeah, um, I, I, I think he had a great, a great game. I think he's the one who set up the assist for Joe and it was a fantastic pass in behind. So it's shown that he has more to his game as well. So um, I actually gave him uh, 8.5. He was, like, very close to being my man in the match, to be perfectly honest. But I just think that Peter, um, he's just such a presence for our team. Like, I mean, he is – he just keeps everything together around there. Yeah, so – Trying to throw cards in the air, but I I'm praying that the result before our game tomorrow goes the way it does because you can sit out. Yeah, man. Like uh, you know, give give this young Luke fella a chance. Let Peter have a break. Yeah. I you but to to his credit, and I think Carlos said this a couple episodes ago. Peter has been playing on that yellow card 
better than any it, with with the style of play he has where he is almost do a yellow card a game he he's not reckless but he's got a timely aggression that sometimes is you know you know untimely um yeah. yeah like we're seeing a guy playing on pins and needles and i think gems is calm is what's really allowing peter to step back because when gems gets aggressive it's calm i know that makes no sense but when you watch these guys play together, it does make sense. And yeah, I'm knocking on every bit of wood right now I have in this studio. And you're going to be. Able to I, I think, like, a, like I mean, like tomorrow, even if it comes down to it, like I mean, I, I would possibly think of putting Chris now in there, taking Peter out, and then putting Ruby because Ruby's done really well since he. Every time he comes on, he looks pretty mm-hmm. calm for somebody who's like. This is his first professional kind of stuff. So yeah, team on giving him a pies. Everything that uh, that that you guys been saying is right. You know we're gonna praise. So I don't want to sound like a broken record. We know that he's a legend, blah blah blah. But Akin always does the job. He always scores. So it's I don't want to be redundant for what I'm saying. All I'm telling you, and for the little people that listen to us, or a bunch of people I don't know. Um, all I have to say is we have to enjoy a King Garcia next season because it's going to be the last season when he got, he's going to play for us. He's not going to go to any CPL team. He's going to go away. Mark yeah. it like that. So you guys enjoy the best of a King because he's going to give us more goals this season and he's going to give us more goals next season. After that, he's going to be a legend for the Wonders. Eight pies for a king. Sweet. Um, so then substitutes, uh, we're just going to do the two because they kind of came on a little bit earlier. Uh, so we're going to do the LBG who came on for uh, Rampers at halftime. Uh, what did you give him, Carlos? 7.5 with extra cheese. I think that LBG works better with Rampers at that pair with Sissoko. Not for the great quality of Rampers that has, uh, it's just because the style of his playing right now, as Chris uh, asked him like in an interview like a few weeks ago, that tenacity that he's displaying right now in the game, uh, I feel like that pairs perfectly with Rampersett style. So you have kind of like salt and pepper right there, you know, and it works. It works fine. So seven point five for for LBG. A half for me too, man. Like uh, forty five minutes, where if you played a full ninety, it was like. Steven wanted to put him in that like anchorman role, but he was forced to actually press a little bit higher up and actually was making amends for some of Sissoko's mistakes. So uh, his 45 minutes was fantastic. And like Carlos was mentioning, he's comfortable in that tenacious role. And that's what we're going to have from Louis. So get comfortable with it, people. Our Casimiro. Yeah, um, I'm going to give him uh, seven points. I think uh, it was probably his best performance. Uh, it's yeah. a pity it came in an awful half of football to watch, but uh, I think he, he, he played very well and um, he seemed a lot calmer. And I think that's all he needs is just to just take it down a notch. You know, there's one thing being aggressive and then there's being overly aggressive when you don't need to be. And, yeah, I think he had a good game. So seven for me. So, so to wrap up then... Um, Young uh, Daniel Kanumbe came on for Sissoko. Um, do, do you guys actually know where he played? Because I haven't got a fucking clue. He was. I've been talking about this for the last twenty-four to thirty-six hours, man. Like, like I've, I, 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 I think he came on as a right back, and then he was playing. I think it's him on the left end at some stage. I, I, I think the only place I he saw him doing video analysis in the. 
Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. He I, does everything. I think uh, I think you'll see you know, down the old triangle part point after the game and everything. Yeah, and everywhere he was, <laughs> and, he, and he took a speedboat. He didn't even fly. He took he a speedboat. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's actually funny you say that, Anthony, because I even think he was playing in the middle before they moved Mateo. It was all over. I thought he was uh, a winger, a left winger kind of. He was left a left back, back as far as I knew. Yeah. <sighs> It was, it was just odd. And, and to be start honest, this one? I mean, start this one? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. I gave him a five, and I'm not hating on Daniel. And, and the reason I gave him a five, it should have been lower. But he actually made a couple of really solid interceptions that I didn't notice until I watched the second time. But I think that, again, Steven got way too comfortable. And then he brought him in, and, and, and I was saying in the chat, I think he instantly regretted it because – and not to Daniel's demerit, but to Steven's demerit. Again, he took credit in public for the, the negative tactics in the second half. Daniel didn't know what he was doing. This is a real quick one for you. Yeah. I feel like regardless what happened on the first match, if we make it, you know, if all the odds are in our favor and we go to face Pacific with the, knowing the result that we need to go to the final, I feel like maybe that could be the game for Daniel Kinumbe. Yeah. Maybe that's going to be the game that he's going to redeem himself. And I feel bad for Alex because I want Alex to play tomorrow. And I feel like that was a game thought, for Alex I De Carole, thought but... a, I always thought Daniel was a right back anyway. Like, well, always... he, he was like both flanks. Yeah. Like, like right back, left back, right left. Left. I thought it was left. So but that's like, like, I, know. But I like, feel I, like tomorrow, tomorrow, probably, if the odds works in our favor, I think that that's going to be the game for Daniel. And I feel like yeah. he's going to have that pressure off. Yeah. Like he's going to be, this is how I am and this yeah. is how I play. I think like Stephen I think Stephen like been, Yeah, I do. And, and like I've been reminding people too, real quick, um, the, he, he comes with a high reputation and these are still some of his very first professional games. So we're seeing a guy still getting his feet wet. And mm -hmm. when Steven, again, a broken record, I have to bring it up once a show. When Steven talks about preparing for next season, like Carlos said, this is a huge opportunity for Daniel to prepare for next season. It's a game potentially with no pressure if the result goes our way. And even if the result doesn't go our way, it's an opportunity maybe for Daniel to play that first half in a role because in a role, he hasn't done that bad. It's just I felt like when he was thrown into this fire, he didn't know what he was doing. And Steven has taken some of the blame, credit, uh, brunt of that mistake. So my rating for Daniel is not his fault. And I hope it's not the last we see of him this year. I, I honestly do. I, I hope that we do see him in one of these next couple games and maybe even against Montreal. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Carlos, what did you give him? I give Daniel 6.5. I feel like tomorrow he is going to play good if, he, if the odds work in our favor. I feel like he's a player that needs that extra motivation, you know, a little bit of work. But as Chris is saying, like, it's his first appearances. He's a great player, though. He's a very good into one-to-one. -one. He penetrates the box. I was telling you, I was telling you the other day that, that when he get in the box, he did that kind of like a Neymar thing, you know, try to dribble everybody. And he was just, like, good at it, you know. He's very technical. So I feel like those explos explosions that he has in the one-on-one -on -one against the player, those are the ones that we have to explode. But I feel like playing, putting him as a left or right back, you won't explode those. You explode those as a winger. And maybe it could be an option too because you've got Chung in Pacific. If you, and 
Chang is very good. He's one of, of the best backs in the league this, this tournament. It's, so, it's literally between him and Chris for yeah. right back. So, so giving, him, yeah. give, give, giving Chang a, a problem like that, it will be beneficial for us because you open space in the middle if Joao is playing, but I think he will be rested if the Devers result goes in our favor. I think that's very unfair to him that he's like a young kid and Stephen keeps playing him, playing him all over the place. It's like, it's really unfair to him. Like, it's great that Stephen thinks that he's versatile and all that kind of stuff. And I just think that we haven't got to see the best one because he hasn't got to play in his natural position. So, um, like, I, I think th- his last game when he played on the wing, he was really good. Um, I think he had a great game. The fourth one against Forge, he didn't play too well. This one, as we said, we've no fucking idea where he was playing. God bless him. He did a manful job, I think. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to give him, like, like six points. I think that's a fair score for yeah. um, the, the effort. Like, you can't fault the, the, the lad's effort. So, yeah, um, six for me. All right, lads, uh, we'll have to leave it there. Um, hopefully we uh, we get the win. This episode of the Down the Pub podcast is brought to you in association with Bootbox Vancouver, suppliers of boot socks. No movement in the boot means no blisters on the foot. Head to bootboxvancouver.com to get yours today. Our Wanderers Games reviews are brought to you thanks to the good folks at Humble Pie. Authentic butterflake pastry filled with local cuts, quality cheese and rich gravy to fill you up on the go or in the comfort of your own home. Head to humblepiekitchen.ca to get yours today. Pies and points, the perfect match. You've been listening to the Down the Pub podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.